Good morning and welcome. It's so good to see all of you this beautiful day. Thanks for coming and uh, thanks to those of you who are here online. Uh, just so you know, if you're online and you would like to speak to someone privately, have a private chat or a prayer, all you need to do is click on request prayer and um, we have hosts waiting to talk to you and pray with you. So if you don't mind standing and joining me for worship today, I have a scripture um, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ and no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by the faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I just love celebrating what Jesus has done for all of us. So uh, in our next song, we're going to celebrate the joy that comes from his sacrifice. If you'll join us in celebrating um, Jesus overcoming the grave, and let's shout out our praise to him. Pardon the 
expectation to declare the reign of the Lord our God. We will not be moved when the earth gives way. Now the silence breaks in the name of Jesus as the heavens cry that the earth respond. All creation shouts with the voice of triumph to declare the reign of the Lord our God. We will not be
seated. This morning we have an opportunity to come together to celebrate um, communion. It's a special time for those that have a relationship with Christ to, to give thanks and to think about the hope that they have in Christ as we anticipate uh, his return. And uh, we're going to invite you in just a few moments to come forward and get uh, uh, two cups. There's one with bread and one in juice in it. You'll be able to take those back to your seats and uh, take communion as the Lord leads. And I know if you do have gluten allergies, uh, we have some gluten-free to the far right table here. So that far right column's got some gluten-free. But as we prepare to take communion together this morning, um, I was really struck by the life transformation that we see in the life of the Apostle Peter. As we move through this series, we've been in John chapter 21, and we celebrated communion at the beginning uh, of looking at Peter's life. In John chapter 18, we were talking about the Lord's Last Supper, and and Peter was there. He was all excited. He was gung-ho. And then after the communion supper would move into the crucifixion and Peter would deny Jesus three times. And now we're in the post-resurrection portion of that story and we see Peter now coming together with Jesus and the other disciples to celebrate breakfast together. So instead of the last supper, we find Jesus with his disciples at that, at that last breakfast. And it was really interesting to look at Peter's life as he's gone through that transition, a life transformation that he experienced as he reflected on resurrection of Christ, what that means for him and the hope that he has. And so I think sometimes it's easy for us when we come together to communion to think about it as just a, a single event. Maybe it's you know the first, mo- first Sunday of the month that you're celebrating communion. I know some churches uh, celebrate that more frequently. and uh, We celebrate communion uh, frequently at Springbrook, whether it's in a small group or a special event, but at least once a month we come together to celebrate uh, the reality of who we are in Christ. And life transformation is what we're praying for. And so as we come together this morning for a communion, it's an opportunity for us, if you have a relationship with Christ, to think back to that moment that you became a Christ follower. And we're not born that way. Every one of us has come to understand our need for a relationship with Christ. And so there's a period when we didn't have a relationship with Christ, and, and now we do, and it's a gift that God's called us into a relationship with himself, and it's something for us to celebrate. And so communion is an opportunity for us to celebrate and remember a life-transforming work of Christ on the cross and what that means for us personally. It's also an opportunity for us to evaluate our lives as we think about any areas of our life that we need to continue to turn over to God's care and control. We're going to see in Peter's life this morning a place of humility, and he understands who he is in Christ, but he's also looking forward with eager anticipation to the return of Christ. And so that's what communion is. It's an opportunity for us to both celebrate, to evaluate our own lives, and to think about the hope that we have on the reality of Christ's return. So we're going to invite you uh, to come up and take communion back to your seats in just a few moments. But I want to encourage you with these words. As Jesus sat with his disciples at that last supper, he lifted up that bread and, and he broke it. He said, that broken bread is reflective of my body that's going to be broken for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Whenever you eat it, do this in remembrance of me. And then after he had finished eating, he lifted the cup up and he said, this cup is reflective of my blood that's going to be shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Whenever you drink this, drink this in remembrance of me. And so let's come together this morning to both celebrate the reality of who we are in Christ and and to eagerly look forward to his return. And let's celebrate communion together as the body of Christ. Father, I just want to thank you for the hope that we do have. God, thank you for the life-transforming power of your word in our life. Thank you for the hope that we do have in Christ. And I pray for any of my friends here this morning that have questions about a 
what a relationship with Christ looks like, that, God, you would use this time to draw them into a relationship with yourself. Um, God, we celebrate and we give thanks uh, for, the, for the crucifixion and for the power of the resurrection and what that means in our life. God, we commit our lives to you. We look forward to all that you have for us. And we commit this time to you uh, for your glory. We pray these things in Christ's name. So just make your way to the front, and then you can take communion back to your seat as the Lord leads.
you, Jesus. Oh, we can't thank you enough. And it's so glorious to think of you through communion and remember what you did for us and how you took away all our sins. And you're with us and you live in us today. And we can spend every single day with you. And we can't wait until the day that we are with you in heaven. And Lord, I just um, thank you for restoring us, for protecting us. And we just want to give you all the glory. And we ask that you please receive our worship. We want to worship you. And Lord, as we go on with the service today, I just pray that you will open our hearts and our minds and teach us something. Speak to us. If there's something that you need to tell us, I know you can talk to each one of us individually. So we're going to open our minds and our ears and our hearts and ask for you to talk to us, Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, church. My name is Kyle, and I'm on staff here at Springbrook working with the youth. Um, This week for Connections, we have Kids Connect. It is our elementary school, a um, place to come hang out and have a good time. It is Wednesday, June 14th through Friday, June 16th from 10 to 11.30. Registration is now open, so go ahead and sign up at springbrook.org kidsconnect. For our youth group, we now have an official schedule. Um, we have our Sunday night hangouts, and that is going to be from 6.30 to 8.30, and that's starting next week, June 11th. It's just about every other week. Parents, you will be getting an an email with all this information here this week. We also have our, I guess I should say, our Sunday night hangouts is for our incoming 7th graders, welcome 7th graders, all the way through our graduating seniors. For Waffle Wednesdays, that's going to be our Wednesday morning Bible study um, for the high school students, so that's incoming ninth graders through graduating seniors. Um, We're going to be reading through Ephesians again just about every other week. Uh, waffles and toppings will be provided. Um, so if you want to get on the texting list for that, you can text students to that number up there. Um, next, we have our men's group. So this is a monthly men's gathering. Our next meeting is June 19th at 6.45, and you can sign up for that at springbrook.org slash powerup. For the ladies, we have our women's Bible study. Um, that Uh, registration is open. I believe we have just about 30 ladies already signed up for that, and so um, sign up for that by June 24th. I know Deanna would love to talk to you out uh, after the service. And then we also have our Springbrook app. If Connections is a little bit too rapid fire for you, the app will have all of this detail um, there for you. It'll give you notifications and whatnot on events that we have coming up. Um, and you can sign up for all these things there. So go ahead and text sev- or Springbrook app to 7797. Uh, Pastor Rich is going to be out in a moment. Um, thank you, guys. Good morning. Welcome to Springbrook. We are in summer, aren't we? Got in the car the other day. It was almost 90 degrees. It was over 90 degrees, actually. We went right from summer. We bypassed spring, and we went right into summer. I know it's June, 
know many people are traveling, and so we're glad that you are with us. And I know vacation schedules are all the topic right now, and, and uh, school's out, and the kids are getting a little bit of a break. Uh, but we are glad that you are uh, with us this morning. Whether you're in person or online, we're glad you're here. We've got many opportunities uh, to help you get connected relationally as we move through the summer. Summer is a great time for us to be able to relationally connect uh, with one another and with families in our community. And uh, we are moving right through the year. I can't believe we're in June. It seems like we're just kicking off the year. We were talking about our wisdom series and all the great things that God was going to do this year, and we're (laughs) already in June. It's going fast, and it's going to keep going faster. They say uh, life's like a roll of toilet paper. The the, the more you, the more the more time that goes by, the faster it goes as you get to the end. And uh, so we're in the middle of summer. And, and when we started this year, though, we started off by looking at Ephesians 5, where we talked about the importance of looking carefully how we walk. In the context of Ephesians 5, we're talking about the relationships that we have with people that don't have a relationship with Christ, maybe in our community, as we love and care for uh, one another. And so we talked about the importance of, of walking wisely amongst those that are, we have relationships with. We're, not, we're, to not, we're to walk not as unwise, but as wise. We're to make the best use of our time as we think about the relationships that we have with people around us, because I don't know if you're aware of this or not, the world is fallen and broken, and it's a mess out there. And so we need to think really intentionally about the relationships with those that we have around us. We're not to be foolish, but we're to understand what the will of the Lord is. And so we're to be wise. We're to make the best use of our time. That's where wisdom is found. It's in knowing God and his will and understanding how to use our time wisely for God's purposes. In fact, in Psalm 90:10, it encourages us, us to number our days. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason, by strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble and soon they are gone and we will fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to your fear? We are to search the number of our days so that we might get a heart of wisdom. We're to search the number of our days with the result that we might find a heart of wisdom. And so that's a passage that has uh, just kind of been on my radar ever since I became a Christ follower. In fact, um, this yesterday (laughs) I had a birthday. So so it was my birthday yesterday. And and so I have have lived. Yeah, (laughs) I survived another year. I have lived 22,281 days. If I number my days, that's assuming I'm going to live to 80, right? I've got 6,019 days left. I don't know. And so I want to use my days for God's purposes. And so I want to keep my eyes focused on him. I want to live with purpose. I want my remaining days to be helping others to discover and to know the fullness of life that is ours in Christ. And then this also happened last week. My daughter had uh, a baby, and so uh, I have a new granddaughter, Kennedy Road. And so the Willards are doing their part to add to the number daily. Those are the world population is going up, and so we've been looking at as we've gone through this series the fact that the world population is going up. And so I'm praying a little Kennedy would would grow up to understand how to have a relationship with Christ. I'm praying that she would know, come to know who Jesus is. You know, we're in this series looking at the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus as he's talking to his disciples and helping us how to understand how we can live wisely. Jesus has been resurrected. Uh, unbeknownst to a lot of people, he didn't just go right up to heaven after his resurrection. For 40 days, he was with the disciples, and we're looking at the lessons that we can learn through his post-resurrection appearances. And so we started out in John 
uh, chapter 21, uh, two weeks ago, and then last week we had a guest speaker, uh, Jeff Rich, that took us through the Great Commission, and today we're back in uh, John chapter 21. But we're in this series, we're almost through uh, these post-resurrection appearances. We're going to be hearing from uh, David Nelms, who's the president of the Timothy Initiative, is going to be with us uh, in two weeks to give us an update on some of the missions activities that we have to, an opportunity to be in. We've got some fun things, exciting things planned as we prepare to enter this in this series. And so we've got a couple more weeks left. Today, uh, we are in John chapter 21. And so if you brought a Bible with you, uh, you can turn with me to uh, John chapter 21, and we're going to read that together. If you don't have a Bible with you, then just listen along as I begin reading in verse 15 of John chapter 21. Beginning in verse 15, it says this, When the disciples had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to them, feed my lambs. He then said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Jesus said to Peter, said to him, tend to my sheep. In verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not wish to go. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. After saying this to him, he said, follow me. In verse 20, Peter turned and he saw the disciple whom Jesus led following them, the one also who had leaned his head against Jesus during the Last Supper. He said, Lord, what's going to happen to this man? Lord, who's going to portray you? Peter said, what's going to happen to him? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread among the brothers so that the disciple was not yet to die, yet Jesus did not say to him he was not going to die, but he said, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and whom has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would have been written. And so from our, just our few passages this morning, there's something that stands out. It's kind of obvious. If you did not notice the three times that Jesus asked the same question, then you just weren't paying attention. <laughs> it's kind of an awkward scene. He's asking him three times. He gets the same answer. So what's he pressing into? In, in verse 15, when they'd finished breakfast, he said to Simon Peter, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you feed my lambs. A second time, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. We'll tend to my sheep. And then the third time we have the, do you love me, where Peter was grieved. And he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So three times Jesus would ask Peter, do you love me? And three times he would get the answer, yes. And so what's going on in this exchange? There's a lot of debate uh, over the significance of the, word, root, of the root words that are used for the English word love. 
You know, in Greek, there are at least seven words for love. Three of them appear in Scripture. One of them is uh, Philadelphia, brotherly love, but you have euros, you have philo, and you have agape love. And so then there's other Greek words for love that don't appear in Scripture, but they were common Greek words. And so there's a lot of debate over the significance of the root words that are being used in these passages. The first time that Jesus asked Peter if he loved him, he used the root word for love that's agape. And so agape is the kind of love that is a devotion that is based on will. It is an unconditional love that God has for us. It's a love that God has for his children. And so there's an agape kind of love. And then there's a philo kind of love, which is the kind of the uh, love that's based on some kind of an emotional connection. Maybe a brother or a sister or a family member. And then you've got Philadelphia. You've got different types of love. But we see these two types of love played out in this passage here. We see the agape love and the philo love. And so the first time Jesus says, do you agape love me? And Peter replies to him, I philo love you. And then he says, do you agape love me? And he says, well, I philo love you. And then finally, Jesus says, do you philo love me, really? And Peter says, you know that I philo love you. Now, this is significant because God is speaking to us through his word, through the author John, and, and he's used these words with some intentionality. And so they're significant. But there is a bigger picture. There's a bigger point that Jesus wants to drive us to, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. And so if I were to offer you $100, if I were to say, I've got $100 in my pocket, would you like to have it? If I were to offer you $100, I'm sure everybody would jump up the chance to get that. You know, $100 is a, is a lot. It's not an insignificant amount of money. But if I were to say to you, how about $1,000? That's different. That's a lot of money. And so it's not that the $100 was not significant. It's that the $1,000 was, was that much more significant. And so when we look at the, the, when it looks at the type of love in these passages, it's not that they're not relevant because they are, but there's something more relevant that Jesus wants to get to us. There's a bigger point that he wants to make with Peter. And we want to look at the first time that Jesus was talking with Peter uh, here. And so in verse 15, you know, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me more than these? And so who are the more than these? And so it's not just a question about do you love me, but do you love me more than these? You know, two weeks ago, we looked at the beginning of uh, John chapter 21, and, and we saw that Peter was taken back in time uh, to the crucifixion of Jesus, and he was reminded that he denied Jesus three times. It was in John 18 that uh, Peter would deny knowing Jesus three times. And it was the third time that Jesus would deny him at a charcoal fire that the rooster would crow. John eighteen seventeen recorded it this way. There was a servant girl at the door who had said to Peter, Are you not one of this man's disciples? And Peter said, I am not. Now, the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing warming themselves, and Peter was with them standing and warming himself. And in this story, when Peter denies himself the third time, it's when the rooster crows. And then Luke records it this way in verse 61. The Lord turned and looked right at Peter after he denied him the third time. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord and how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And so Peter has denied Jesus three times in, in previous verses and Jesus locks eyes with him. And now Peter finds himself back at a charcoal fire with Jesus. And so he's back at a charcoal fire with Jesus, except this time it's over breakfast. <laughs> and so they're having breakfast together. They're cooking fish together. And in, in uh, verse 9 through 11 that we saw two weeks ago, when they got out on land, Peter saw 
charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus had said to them, bring me some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard. He hauled the net ashore full of fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And so Peter, who had arrived in Galilee at the direction of Jesus, got tired of waiting there. He got bored. He decided to go fishing. Jesus shows up. And all of a sudden, he realizes that Jesus' proclamation of going to Galilee, I'm going to show up, is starting to come true. And, and so he finds himself now back in this fishing experience. He's experiencing now, for the first time, the reality of who Jesus really is. He's experiencing a relationship with Jesus now that is post-resurrection. And so his previous experiences were all prior to the resurrection. And now he's, he's encountering Jesus after his resurrection, and he now understands the reality of who Jesus is. And so Peter's experiencing Jesus for who he is in, in, in reality for him this time. See, up at this point, all the disciples still had questions about who Jesus was. Thomas was still doubting. I'm not going to believe until I point my, push my finger in the wound. And, and so there's, some, there's still some confusion about who Jesus is. And Peter starts to get some clarity for the first time about the reality now of who Jesus is Back in uh, Matthew, in chapter 26, at that Last Supper, Jesus foretells his death. And so he says this, uh, beginning in verse 28 of Matthew 26, while the disciples were eating, Jesus had taken bread, and after blessing it, he had broken it, and he gave it to the disciples, and he said, take and eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink this, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. In verse 30, it said, when they had finished singing hymns, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee, which is where he finds himself now with the disciples. But in verse 33, it says this. After he had said that you're all going to be scattered, Peter says to him, Oh, they might all fall away because of you, but I never will. Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus says to him, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you are going to deny me three times. Peter said to them, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And the rest of the disciples, you know, agreed. And so Peter has had this previous experience with Jesus where he said, I am never going to deny you. In John chapter 21 and verse 15, when they had finished eating breakfast and Jesus said to Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? He's referring back to this moment where Peter said that he would never deny him. Jesus is not asking, do you love me more than you love your friends? He's not setting up a comparison that says, hey, do you love me more than you love your friends? He is asking, do you really love me more than your friends love me? And so Peter would understand the full weight of what Jesus is asking. Except this time when he answers, he says, you know that I love you. So the comparison to the other disciples has been dropped. Jesus goes right to the heart of the matter. You said that you would follow me anywhere, that you would never deny me. You did. Do you really love me more than anybody else loves me? Does Peter love 
Jesus more than you and I love Jesus? Does Peter love Jesus any more than the disciples love Jesus? And Peter just kind of cuts to the chase and says, "Ah, you know that I love you. You know, there is a humility about Peter in this story more than we saw in the previous story, isn't there? And so when Jesus initially asked, you know, how much do you love me? I will follow you to death. And when we get here, he's now just saying, you know that I love you. And so Jesus brings this past story up to life. And so at this breakfast scene with Jesus, you can't read through John 21 without understanding what happened when Jesus denied, was denied by Peter three times. Those stories are interrelated, and Jesus brings the reality of that story to life when he says, do you really love me more than these? And there's a humility about Peter that you see here that you did not see before. He is just saying, I love you. You know, before, when Jesus uh, responded to, uh, when Peter responded to Jesus, he got corrected. (laughs) Oh, I will follow you anyway. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And so he got somewhat of a rebuke. You know, in this passage, we see the humility of Peter and, and Jesus just telling him at this point, just feed my lambs. And so instead of a rebuke, he's getting an assignment. The last time we had this exchange, you got a rebuke. Oh, no, you're going to deny me three times. And now Peter comes in with a heart of humility, just saying, you know that I love you. And he gets an assignment, feed my lambs. And as we move through these three different questions, you see in John 16, he'd be asked the question again, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you tend to my sheep. Feed my lambs, tend to my sheep. And by the time we get to verse 17, when he says to him a third time, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? You know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. And Peter is not grieved because he was using the wrong form of the word love. And so it's easy to get kind of tripped up in some of the different you know, verbiages of love. And and not that those things are not significant, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But the point that Jesus is making is, is, do I have your attention now? Peter is grieved because he has come face to face with the reality that he has, in fact, denied Jesus three times. And so he feels the weight of that brokenness. And so when he hears that third time, do you love me? It brings right to the forefront for him the third time that he rejected Jesus. Three times Peter had denied knowing Jesus, and so three times Jesus would repeat this essential question, do you really love me this time? And so this all comes to the forefront for Peter, and he is grieved. These three questions would be hitting Peter like a hammer, driving the point home. Three times Jesus asked him, do you love me? And three times he would feel the full weight of those three denials. And each time Peter would be affirmed and he'd say, yes, Lord, I love you. He says, Lord, you know everything. You know everything. You know that I love you. And each of these three times Jesus would would respond with an affirmation, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, tend to my sheep. And so Peter would be experiencing this sense of, instead of rebuke, no, you're going to reject me, he'd be affirmed and said, you've got a new assignment now. And so it's through this passage that we see the relationship with Jesus, and Peter now starts to take a turn. Peter's now been restored in his relationship with Jesus. The, the fact that he loves him has been confirmed, and he, 
he gets a new assignment. And, and Jesus gives, us that, gives him that new assignment with the full knowledge that he knows everything. And so here's the point. More important than what form of the words are used in this passage is the point of the importance of loving Jesus. Loving Jesus is rooted in forgiveness. Loving Jesus is rooted in our restoration. Loving Jesus is rooted in our right relationship with our Heavenly Father. Loving Jesus is the point of this passage, and, and Jesus would point that to Peter out with some clarity. Loving Jesus and serving him is where we find our relationship with Jesus restored. You know, it's interesting. When I was um, in seminary, I was older, and so I had left my job as an executive. I found myself in seminary. I was with a bunch of younger students who had graduated with their bachelors, and now we're just going to work on their master's because they were interested in, in ministry. And so there's a couple of guys that I had befriended and you know, kind of talking about our calling. And it's like, well, you know, why do you want to go into ministry? And so I remember one guy said, well, you know, my dad's been in ministry and it's kind of the family thing. And he said, I just want to kind of follow my family's footsteps. And I'm thinking, well, that's <laughs> okay. And then I had another guy that says, I, I love to be a counselor. I want to counsel people. I want to help people. And those are all good things. I mean, mind you, I mean, there's, you know, a variety of reasons that, that people will, uh, respond to God's call in their life. There's a, you know, we want to help people. You know, I want to plant churches. Um, you know, there's a variety of reasons why, why people might find themselves you know, involved in ministry. You know, sometimes when I talk to people at Springbrook, I say, you know, why do you love serving in children's ministry? You know, sometimes I'll hear, well, because there was a need. You know, that's valid. We have a need in children's ministry. Why do you serve on the First Impressions team? Or why do you like to cut the grass? You know, a lot of times people will identify with serving in ministry because of, you know, just for some reason, very rarely do I hear, it's because I love Jesus. <laughs> you know, we serve in ministry. Our call to ministry is rooted in loving Jesus. Because if it's anything other than that, it's going to let you down. People are going to let you down. Ministry is going to let you down. Trust me. <laughs> 25 years of ministry, there's a lot of things that are going to let you down. And I can't think of any reason other than the fact that I love Jesus to be here. <laughs> God has equipped, he's called some to be pastors and teachers. He's given people gifts to build up the body of Christ. And so when we understand that because of who we are in Christ, because of the love that Jesus has for him, we love him back and we serve to build up his body, to build up the body of Christ. And so what we're doing is important. You know, people go into ministry, they serve in ministry for a variety of times. Sometimes it's like when I talk to people about sharing their faith, it's like, well, how come you share your faith or don't share your faith. I'm afraid I don't know what to say. You know, apart from having a relationship with Christ, apart from being in love with Jesus, you can't share your faith. You can't serve effectively in ministry. Loving Jesus and serving him is at the root of what Jesus is trying to get to in this conversation with Peter in, in verses 15 through 17. Drill, drill, drills at home with Peter that these things that are going on around you are not important. What Jesus wants is our love, our devotion, and a relationship with us. And Jesus drills home to Peter the motivation for why church is important. Why do we do what we do? Why do we go into ministry? There's a lot of things I could think of where you could make better money. You know, why do we do what we do? Why are you here this morning? 
you know, we come together, we serve together out of a devotion and a love for Jesus. And that's what binds the body of Christ together. The early church, the ecclesia, that body of Christ is people that have a loving relationship with Jesus, that want to grow in their faith. And I just want to encourage you this morning that maybe you are watching online or maybe you just kind of stumbled into church and you're thinking, well, we'll go check this thing out. At Springbrook, we want to help people to fully know and discover the love that God has for them so that they can, in return, love him back and be a part of his plan. We need to live wisely as we fulfill God's purposes for us together. In 1 John, in chapter 4, John writes this, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Love is not love. God is love. The Bible defines what love is, and he helps us to understand what it means to have a relationship with him and how to relate to others. If you don't have love, you do not know God because God is love. And in this is the love of God. It was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that God has loved us and sent his son to be the perpetuation for our sins. And so we love God because he first loved us. Propitiation is, it's that idea that uh, it's an act of giving or favor. It's almost like grace. It's, it's giving something to somebody that they don't deserve. But in this case, it's giving favor or making things right with someone, especially after they have done something wrong. And so all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. And so we've all done something wrong. And so the significance that God loved us and sent his son to us is our motivation for loving God back. Jesus took the weight of our sin on himself because of the love that he has for us. We love him because he first loved us. And so that is our motivation for loving God. You know, I love him because he loved me. I serve him because, because I love him. And so those two things are related. And, and Jesus would drive that point home to Peter in those first four verses. You know, Jesus is Lord. He is to have first priority in our life. Jesus recognizes, in the conversation with Peter, we see Peter recognizes he is our Lord. And so that lordship issue means that he gets first place, first priority in our life, in our, in our calendars, in our finances, in our relationships, in our serving. Jesus is to have first priority in our lives. As, and, and that's how we show that we love him. And, we can, and we, can, we can trust him with our life. You know, Peter has come to understand the fullness of who Jesus is and what it means to have a relationship with him. And we are to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. That's the great and first commandment, that we are to put God first in our life. We're to love our neighbors ourselves. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. How we love God, our relationship with God, and how we love one another, and how we serve one another, all of Scripture hangs on those two things happening. This is love, that he first loved us and we loved him back. And we are to love the Lord our God with all of ourselves. And we're to love each other as we love ourselves. All of scripture hangs on these two commands. Loving Jesus is at the heart of having a relationship with him. 
Loving Jesus and serving others is the foundation of having a relationship with him. And it's through that relationship that we can trust him with our lives, that we can trust him with our circumstances. It is through our relationship with Jesus that we find we can trust him with every area of our life. We can trust him with our future. And that's where Jesus would take Peter as you move into verse 18. Jesus says to Peter, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and you used to walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you're going to stretch out your hands and another will dress you and he will carry you where you do not want to go. He said this to show by what kind of death that he was going to glorify God. Speaking of Peter, after saying this to him, he said, follow me. And so Jesus is telling Peter about the things that are to to come. You are going to be crucified like I was. Earlier, you said that you'll follow me to death and and you're going to have an opportunity um, to do that. And so Jesus kind of points out to Peter the reality of where he is going to be headed. So how do you see things coming to an end in your life? Here, Peter gets a front row seat. Jesus knows everything. He is Lord. And Jesus says to Peter, this is how you are going to die. And then after that, he just says, you are to follow me. Now, if it had been me, I would have think, hey, can I ask a couple more questions about that? <laughs> you know, if you are 12 years old right now, you're not thinking about how things are going to end. You're thinking about everything that you got coming before you in life. We have seniors that are graduated. And they're thinking about, hey, I'm going to start college. We have kids that are moving up into high school. We have people that are graduated from college or looking for jobs, or maybe you're looking for another job. And so when you're younger, you have a tendency not to think about these kind of things. When you're younger, you walk wherever you wanted to walk because you were in control. But as you get older, you start to understand, hey, your days are numbered. <laughs> you better start thinking about this. And so Jesus says to Peter, you're going to go where you do not want to go. He said this to show him by what kind of death he was going to be glorifying God. And so what are you prepared to do? And so when you think about how you're going to end, I mean, what are some of the things that come to your mind? We very rarely think about those because there are so many things that compete for our time and our attention. We very rarely think about what does it mean to live wisely among those around us? What does it mean to live out our faith in a way that that, uh, we're being intentional about the opportunities that God gives us. And so we know that we can trust Jesus to this. Jesus just kind of keeps moving. He gives him this news and he says, it almost says, but you just need to follow me. Trust me. <laughs> you follow me. And then when you get into uh, verse 20, Peter turns around and sees the disciple whom Jesus loved follow him, the one who had leaned back against him during the Last Supper and said, Lord, is this, you know, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you. When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And so Peter's looking back at John. He just hears the news about himself and he looks back at John. He goes, hey, what about this guy? (laughs) To which Peter replies, or to which Jesus replies, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You need to follow me. You can trust me with your future. You are going to be crucified, but you can trust me in that. 
You can trust me without comparing yourselves to other people. Because what I want to do through you is different than I want to do through John. And it's easy for us to compare ourselves to other people, isn't it? I mean, it's really easy for us to think, well, hey, what about this guy? It's really easy for us to get discouraged when things around us change and to lose focus on what God has for us personally. And Jesus would remind Peter, don't worry about him. You follow me. He kind of pulls it back to himself. And it is easy for us to get discouraged. Friends move. Things happen. Things go on around us. And it's easy for us to get discouraged by what's happening around us and forget that no matter what's happening around us, God has something for us. And we can trust Jesus without comparing ourselves to others. Who cares what he's doing over there? What is he doing in you? And so that trust comes from knowing that we can trust Jesus with our future, and it comes from knowing that we don't have to compare ourselves to others. And it also comes from knowing that he is going to return. Jesus said, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? In other words, Jesus is telling Peter, I'm going to come back. And so we can trust Jesus because we know that he's going to come back. This world is not all there is. This life is not all there is. Jesus is going to come back. Those that have a relationship with him have the promise of being, you know, taken up to heaven. Those without a relationship with Christ have the assurance that they're going to spend eternity away from him, not in heaven. And so, but we know that we can trust Jesus because we know that he is going to return. We can trust him with our future. We can trust him without comparing ourselves to others. And we can trust him because we know that he is going to return. And we can trust and follow Jesus based on the reliability of his word. The reliability of his word. The disciple who is bearing witness about these things, John, and who has written these things, we know that his testimony is true. There are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. But we do have John's word. The words that we do have are trustworthy. It's really easy for us to get into conversations about things that the Bible does not speak about and let that be a distraction to what it actually does speak about. Does that make sense? Sometimes I'm talking, well, what about this? What about this? It's like, why are you worried about that? The Bible doesn't say anything about that. We put these false scenarios up in in our minds. We do these these what ifs and we we start looking for things that really are irrelevant. It's like, don't worry about those things. Follow me. And that's what Jesus does with Peter. Don't worry, about, don't worry about your future. You can trust me. Follow me. Don't worry about what I'm doing in the lives of other people. You can follow me. Don't worry about what's not written in the Bible. If we had had everything written down that Jesus had said and done, the world itself could not contain all the books that would be written. And so, but what we do have are reliable transcripts of God speaking through his people so that we now can enjoy the benefit of understanding how to have a relationship with him. We can trust and follow Jesus because of the reliability of his word. You know, the good news about the resurrection is that we can trust and follow Jesus with our future. We can trust and follow Jesus without comparing ourselves to others. We can trust and follow Jesus knowing that he will return. And we can trust and follow Jesus based on the reliability of his word. All those things should be an encouragement to us in our faith. And so I want to encourage you this morning not to be distracted by the things of this world, but, but to let us all encourage one another as we keep our eyes focused on him. In First Peter, Peter would go on to 
right? It's really easy for us to look at, at, at some of the things that God had used Peter for. In Acts chapter 2, um, Peter stands up, he tells this whole crowd about their need for a relationship with Christ. He said, 3,000 people made faith commitments and got baptized that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of the bread, and to prayer. And isn't that great for the church? And so it's really easy for us to say, well, look at what Peter did. Look at all those people came to Christ and we got the church today and that's what we're praying for in our church. And I am praying for that. But it, you have to back it up because that didn't happen until the boldness of Peter, the Holy Spirit working into, in his life and the reality of who is in Christ enabled him to stand up to share that message. But it all goes back to that moment where Peter made the decision to trust and follow Jesus. You know, it's easy for us to think about the 3,000 people that made faith commitments and the birth of the earlier church. It's easy for us to look at Peter and go, wow, he was really a great speaker. And look at the impact that his sermon had on all those people. But it all goes back to a one-on-one conversation with Jesus where he said, you're going to be crucified. Don't worry about the people that are around you. Don't compare yourself. You follow me and you place your trust and your faith in me. And that's how God is still working in and through us today. We each individually have to make our own decisions about what we believe about Christ. And then it's through that, through that love that God has for us and the love that we have for him, that God's able to accomplish his works and his plans. And so Peter would write in 1 Peter, in chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, he would give blessing and honor to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This series has been looking about all the post-resurrection experiences. It all goes back to the resurrection. That's what this series has been about. We're still in Easter. We're still in those 40 days that Jesus was hanging with the disciples after Easter. For most of us, Easter's gone. But that is the reality of what it means to live out our faith. You know, we've been born again to a living hope that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, where our hope is, it's undefiled, it's unfading, and it's kept in heaven for us, who by God's power we are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at his last time. And so we came together to celebrate communion. It's the reality of who we are in Christ and to give thanks for that hope that we have, but we also understand that Jesus is going to be coming back. And so we can praise God for a living hope today. In chapter 2, verse 9, Peter reminds us that we are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are a people for his own possession that we can proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into this marvelous light. And so that's why we exist. That's what it means to live wisely amongst those around us so that we can proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of this darkness into this marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so we can live each day knowing securely who we belong to, knowing that we can trust Jesus with our future, that we can trust Jesus not having to worry about comparing ourselves to others, that we can trust that Jesus has something for us that is ultimately not laid up for us in this life, but in the next. And we know that Jesus is going to return and we can place our faith and our hope and our trust in that as well. And so as we continue to move through this series, I pray that God will continue to draw each of us closer to himself. We have several more weeks as we're going to be looking at some of these post-resurrection experiences, but I pray this morning that you are encouraged as you think about the importance of keeping your eyes on Jesus knowing that 
He knows everything, and you can trust him with your life. Father, we just thank you for this day you've given us today. And we thank you for the hope that we do have in Christ. We thank you for Peter's life. I'm always encouraged when I look, look at Peter's life. I thank you for the life-transforming power of your word, not just in the lives of the disciples, not just in the lives of the church fathers or those that have gone before us, but God, your power working itself out in our life. God, we look forward to what you are going to accomplish in and through us and in and through us together. We commit this day to you. We commit this summer to you. We look forward to all that you have for us. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand in body or in spirit and join us for one more worship song.
that you have a blessed week and remember Jesus loves you. See you later. <laughs>